0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Absolutely. So you was up in Liverpool one time. Yeah, I was up in Liverpool. Uh, a Chelsea nut, I am. And so went to Anfield. First time I've ever been there and I found it. I loved it. And them supporters are like a, like an extra player. And when they sing that uh, walk-on or the fields of Anfield Road, you know, I was in awe of it. The atmosphere was incredible. And I had a sort of a mauve shirt on and a little hat. And a pair of like sort of loud coloured trousers. And there was a, uh, we were segregated away from the Liverpool supporters, but only the only thing separating us was a yellow tarpaulin and about 20 scouse cozzers. It was like, a little bit, it was a little, was a little bit intimidating. <laughs> anyway, this geezer, I kept looking at this fella and he went, Who are you looking at? You know, in that lovely accent, which <laughs> I love. Who you looking at? <laughs> Who you looking at? That's it. <laughs> so I said, I'm looking at you, mate. So he called me a gay old poof. So, no, a gay old something. I can't remember. But I didn't like the old. I was okay with the gay bit, and I had a thousand pounds in my pocket. and I've embarrassed myself and said, Yeah, look, what you got? No money. You know what they say? You know, it's terrible. They sing a song about signing on, the Liverpool supporters signing on. And so I pulled a thousand pounds out of my pocket. And he says to his mate, Oh, look, he wants to have sex with me. He wants a pair for sex. <laughs> so I'm getting agitated. And he threw this burger at me, hamburger, and it whistled past me, it literally whistled past me. And standing next to me, a big Chelsea boy, big black fella, big Jamaican fella, must have weighed about 20 stone, and it caught him. And, and the fella said, Who done that? Who done that? I said, It was in me. <laughs> <laughs> and it caused uh, a little bit of ag,
2: a little bit of carnage.
1: <laughs> the police earned their money.
2: So here we are with Michael. Emmett and you guys watched us with Joey Pyle Jr. So, Michael's dad was Joey Pyle's dad's crime partner. So, and Michael's just got a huge life story as well. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Your agent sent me a list of things here. Oh, okay. And then he said to start with abuse. Yeah, Bit of a dark note, but let's I do know,
1: it. I know. Yeah, abuse. Um, well, it was. It was. I don't. I don't want to broadcast it too much, but there was a. It was sexual abuse. As um, and you know, the reason why I start with that because it, it played a, a major part in my life. It affected me uh, a lot. I was in quite. I was in denial about it, but I was sexually abused by the by the babysitter. Oh jeez! Uh, I was five. Uh, and five. I spoke yeah, I was five, yeah, so how'll sit you know how unwell were they and it It never happened loads of times, but two or three times is enough for a kid of that age, and it sort of opened up in I, I had a wonderful mother, and so my my opinion of women in the deepness of my soul was I had this beautiful mother, and um I had this abuse so I I had a mixture it was an opposite of my values of what women were like and it's it followed me around for years that opinion it it sort of cemented itself in my being and um, you know the sex addiction the abuse the abuser the sorry the one who gets abused becomes the abuser. And so I think I abused... No, I didn't sexually assault anybody, but my, my attitude to women was, was um, quite destructive, actually, to be quite honest with you. So it played a, played a major part in my life, and, 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 and it, it stunted my growth. There was a lot of rage attached to it, a lot of anger. And so, you know, and it just followed me through my life until I sort of started to deal with it as I got a bit older.
2: So you never were able to settle down with women? Never. Never, and I, I still
1: struggle in that area of my life now, I still struggle, but I'm getting better, I'm getting better.
2: What was it like growing up with a notorious father, and do you want to tell the public, we've got a lot of viewers in America, you want to tell the public who your father was and about the relationship with Joey Pyle's dad and that kind of stuff? Yeah,
1: I mean, my dad was out of South London, there, there was a big mixture in my family, uh, the difference between my mother and father was 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 unbelievable. My mother was a very soft, beautiful lady, but my dad had this, well, he was a criminal. That was, that was his, a serious criminal as well. It was, it's what he'd done for a living. And um, so I think at very young, at a very young age, I started to identify some of the things that he was doing. I see some bad violence, you know, with other people uh, as a young kid. Uh, I don't think he knew, really. It, it wasn't the sort of thing that he wanted to show me. These things that happened was, I think, mistakes, but I did see it. And so I, I had this father around me who took us out of South London and took us down to Surrey to sort of better our life. It didn't work with me. And, um, and yeah, so he, I, I grew up around this man who, who had a lot of authority. But he had the same... He was a mixture of opposite. My dad was a very strong man, powerful man. He didn't feel pain... But he felt uh, emotional pain. He was very weak emotionally, but in his strength, he was a strong guy. He could fight. Um, he was stand up. My dad. He was only a little guy, Irish descent, but he could have a right old fight, the
2: old man. Have you, got any, have you got any fake stories?
1: What with me seeing him? Yeah. Well, I tell you, at a very young age, when I was about seven, about no, about six, we was coming around the one-way system at, at Vauxhall with my mother and uh, my brother and sister, and someone cut him up in the car, uh, and that's when I, and I, I do things that he used to do, used to bite his tongue in anger, and I remember him getting very angry, and chasing the geezer about, and we used to live in the flats in Stockwell, and when we pulled up at Stockwell, the fella drove past again, after a lot of verbal down at Vauxhall, so my mother jumped out of the car, with my brother, and my and my, and my sister, and, um dad see the guy went to retaliate and my mum left me in the car hoping my dad wouldn't follow him but he did anyway to, to, for my good fortune the old man never caught up with him but there was a lot of anger a lot of rage a, there was a weapon pulled out from underneath the uh, the glove compartment in the car uh, and then the next time I saw it um, which was a real sort of heavy duty sort of situation we was coming up back as he rise and I was about eight or nine it's funny how you remember these things as well um, and they play a major part in your in your own growth as a as a, as a human being. And so I was coming up Battersea Rise with an old mate of his called Harper Sutty and Harper's brother Teddy. They was all boxers. And they'd obviously spotted someone they had to the hunt with. So they pulled round the corner up the Webb's Road and um I was sitting in the back. And years ago, my old man used to buy in silk cars. And do you know where the wheel was on the outside? There used to be a thing years ago. There was like a sort of... It was the indication of the wheel, and I was sitting on that. And I don't know where my dad had gone, and then a few minutes later, I could hear a bit of an argument. And this geezer come running round the corner, it was Sod's Law. He fell against the car, and he, he, his face was smashed to pieces where they'd done him. And he just so happened to fall against the window where I was sitting. And I thought, oh, my God, like that. And I don't remember it that well, but I remember the trauma and I remember my dad coming round the corner, seeing him laying against the car, there's all blood everywhere and it, it really upset my dad and and I remember the guy running and my dad got me out of the car and cuddled me, saying I didn't mean it. But I've never forgot it. I've never forgot it. And uh I don't you know, they play a major part in how you think and 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 you, you condone violence, I suppose at a very young age. Who was
2: Joey Pile senior and how did your dad hook up with him?
1: Well, Joe's fraternity and my dad's fraternity, they go back years, the, the train robbers, you know, the, the foremans. And I'm not name-dropping, it's just who my dad used to hang about with, or he knew, the Richardsons. And then him and Joe, I remember Joe when I was about 16, when Joe was selling commercial vehicles off the Woolworth Road, and his brother Ted, I believe. So I remember Joe. And then my dad and Joe sort of got together in, I suppose I was about uh, 18, 19. And um, you know they're both dead. Otherwise, I wouldn't be telling towels. Um, so bless the both of you. Um, you know they be they were smuggling cannabis into the UK in, in, in quite a, a, in a big way. Is this Howard Marks era or pre Howard? No, they was mates with Howard. They was mates. I mean, I I, I never met Howard till later on, but I, I'd met Howard a number of times. I got a cracking photo of him in my old man. Um, but yeah Howard was a great guy but I think it was around that same sort of era but um, 1970s then 60s no I I think later than that uh, I I would say when I was so I was born in 58 so it was about uh, about 76 that's all the time Uh, and and they had this operation it was very uh, sort of new in London it wasn't sort of a crime that everyone was involved with so I think they, they hit the road running uh, and uh, it created a business that went on for a number of years. Um, it, it was regular. Uh, I, I wasn't involved. I was just a young kid. I'd be on the peripherals. Um, it, allegedly, there was a, a, a someone got shot, um, so, and that was a downfall of it. I, I don't know who it was, but there was there was something went on like that. And um, I believe it was to do. My dad and Joe went out to the states um, at, through through Alex Steen, I believe. I uh, don't know if you know Alex. He, he was as an old boy used to be about you, yeah. and, and Alex introduced uh, out there. There was a uh, there was a guy called Wazzle. Uh, he was in the music game, and by all accounts, I mean allegedly, he was very friendly with one of those five bosses. And Joe and the old man were out there, and, and, and they arrived to sort of London hoods. And I, I'm not saying it was, but I do believe that the. Uh, it was the embryo stage of the start of the importations, I believe, uh, and then it used to come in from Holland, and it was regular, and 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 so it, you know it, it, it mushroomed and grew. Uh, you know, it was international crime. It was, um, it was big stuff. It was big stuff. What were you like at school? Uh, well, it was really funny. My old man was very bright. And my sister's a school teacher, and my brother got rested, so he was very bright. they were sort of A-level students. I was too, Bob. I just couldn't get it, and so I was a street kid from a very, very. I started thieving very early, smoking, drinking. So my concentration levels in school wasn't very good. But I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but I was quite a good sportsman. <laughs> so I think it got me through. I went to a school where you had to raise your cap and. You know, it was a school where they played rugby, cricket and rowing and uh, and I was just a rascal and there weren't many sort of rascals in the school, but I became sort of a bit of a leader and a, a co-leader, let's just say, or, or a member of a little team uh, and gravitated to the Naughty Boys. And what did you aspire to be while you were in school? Well, it was really funny because crime started at an early, not not a level of crime, I used to thieve out of Woolworths. And, uh, and nick, Nick, sort of lipsticks and for the pretty little girls in the high street but I always had the aspirations of being a football player mm. and I always I had a great right foot but a diabolical left foot mm. and uh, and I couldn't I didn't get school I wanted to I always had a creative mind I used to go into a, a sort of a, a not a Walter Mitty's, uh head but I used to sort of imagine I had a great imagination and uh, but the sexual abuse was starting to it develop itself, mm. uh, and I was I was a, I was sort of uneasy with myself. I, I found it very hard to concentrate, and and I was always looking at, for a fix at a very early age, actually. And the sort of hole inside of me grew bigger and bigger and bigger.
2: What was your entry level job into the smuggling enterprise? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so being
1: around that, um, I saw things. I, I saw. You know, I I, I mentioned earlier they sort of there was some money owed out in Italy, and they took my parents host. They didn't kidnap them; they they took them away, and and they weren't released. My mum loved it; it was a lovely. You want to give us the
2: whole story of that?
1: Okay, I will do. So, with the operation with Joe and Dad, uh, there was some money owed. I think it had something to do with this alleged shooting, Um, and there was some money owed, Uh, and my dad went out there with my mother. to to, to pay the money Um, and there was some missing not on purpose and the money was forthcoming but because there'd been a bit of a mishap uh, and it wasn't allowed to be explained immediately so they took my parents not my old man didn't like it because they sort of uh, they locked him away my mum loved it it was in a hotel in Naples she said I could see the sea and and the food was lovely (laughs) your dad was angry marching about like a lunatic (laughs) I went round to tell Joe, you know, they'd phoned up my house, and um, we was told not to speak on the phone, you know. Yeah. Anyway, there was a bit—I I got a bit mouthy because my mother was there and I went round to see Joe and Joe dealt with it a, a, and they got released a, a, and they come back but I they didn't I, I think they took a dislike to me because <laughs> of the some of the things I said down the phone I think I got told off by Joe and on by the old man
2: how old were you at that point I must have been about 17 18 maybe 19 so that must have messed with your head. Your parents have been kidnapped.
1: Very much, very much so. Well, I, I, when you say kidnapped, it, 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 they were kidnapped, but not to the degree where there was guns and they was wrapped up and they was locked away. It was quite a nice kidnap in a way, but it still <laughs> meant isolation for forty-eight hours. And my dad didn't like that. Marching about, your mum said he was marching about like a lunatic, and uh, he didn't take kindly to it. But yeah, it messed with my head, and and I think progressively. Through my years, the dysfunction that grew in me, the antidote for it was to love money, love drugs, love women, or think I did. Uh, and and so I was always looking for that extra fix the wanting and the getting, the give me, give me, give me. And, and it became very disruptive, very disruptive. So were you transporting drugs? Well, uh, eventually I did. I got to that. I, I'd done my little apprenticeship on the streets of London and got got arrested a couple of times. What was that, was doing what? That was, I was arrested for cocaine. Selling cocaine? It was in the car, they said, so, uh, and I got arrested and it was in a mad police chase. Uh, <laughs> what was that for like? Not getting frightening. Were you driving? No, the kid I was driving with, if God rest his soul, he's dead now, he could drive this kid. Can
2: you run it down? What happened?
1: Well, I'll tell you what happened. He was coming over to me and uh, there was some cocaine around, yeah. And he was on his toes. He was wanted. Um, he was wanted for some cannabis, uh, a, a loaded gun, and um, he, he was driving up to see me in Battersea. I had I had a shop there. I had a I had an Edwardian and Victorian bathroom shop. It was a front for all sorts of shenanigans. We <laughs> <laughs> was called up a cast brass. <laughs> It used to be Joe and Dad's video shop. And, and so all that went on. And he came come to see me without a couple of beers. Um, and on the way to see me, he, he, he'd had a, a bit of an argument in the car. And one of his tricks was he used to squirt people with ammonia in the chest. What and What uh, does it, that do? Well, it, if you do it in the eyes, it's dangerous. It, it can blind you. But he never used to do it in the eyes. But the fumes of it, water your eyes. It's like a mace. And so he had done that to someone in, in Wandsworth. And they got off his number plate. And then he came to me. He didn't tell me that had happened. And, and so as we're doing what we was messing about doing, um, I went to get in my car. I had this little black BMW. And as I've got in the car, I've seen, I've seen the, the police car pull up. But not pull up, but looks. So I thought, well, I've had a few drinks. I'd get in his car. And he'd all the cocaine that he had in his steering wheel. It was an old Fiesta. And there was an ounce on the side. And I I think there was seven or eight ounces in his, uh, where it was. And I get in the back of the car with him. So we're driving down a road. And as we're driving down a road... It's a bit like New York, this thing. It's new, well, not like you, but New York, but in Battersea, Northcote Road, there's all runs that run, roads that run parallel, and there's about nine of them. So you go down one side, across Northcote Road, up the other side. So as we've gone down and hit Northcote Road, I've looked to the right and I've seen the police car. So I said, hold up, or whatever I said. Wallop, they're everywhere. So he proceeds. Good driver. I mean, he was bloody good. He proceeds to have a getaway. And it, it, it's funny now, weren't it weren't there. What's going through your head at that moment? Do you know it's really funny? When the adrenaline kicks in, you forget the fear. Uh, and it takes over. And I suppose I had balls as well. But to, to say I wasn't frightened, the first few minutes, it's, I ponied I, I, I myself. But once you get into it, your liberty's on the line. So he, he's up curbs, he's, he's driving around things. And now we've got three or four, there's a helicopter gone up for him because they know it's, um, it's, he's a dangerous boy, this kid. And we wind up going round by the mental home in, uh, in Tooting. And as we went through this geezer's garden to get away... He was only a young kid and he was underneath sanding he had a small little boat, a little rowing boat, and he was laying on this bench, I'll never forget, he was sanding the uh, the boat, and all of a sudden we've gone through his fence, he's rolled off, where have we bomb, we've gone through. The police stopped for a minute, which give us about another thirty seconds or a minute. He's given me the ounce of coke, I've slung it out the window. I put my socks on, so I didn't have my fingerprints. I've slung it out the window. It's caught a fence and fell. We've reversed to go through this big wooden fence to go into the mental home and get out and run. It's about 18 foot, this fence was. And every six feet was them corrugated posts. We didn't know that. So he reversed and he hit it right. I mean, it was the worst. His accuracy was diabolical. He hit it right in the middle doing about 40 or 50 mile an hour. So the car went up in the air. He went through the window screen. His bone in his nose popped out of him I broke, uh, busted me knee and me ankle, we're in it, we're in trouble the car's flat and the police are there and so I'll get out of the motor and they put these inflatable things on my leg to stop the pain I oh, had internal bleeding but the mother of the kid who was sanding his boat down, it's quite a posh lady, come out of a stick and started belting me, you bastard she's my God. French we get nicked, and um, and that was it really. We we wound up in the prison, and um, and yeah, they, they didn't find the evidence straight away because the car had sort of constantined, and it wasn't till later. But I'd got a bit of bow at Judge and Chambers, and, and, and I and I absconded to Spain. So, what made you decide to abscond? Well, I suppose I was only a young kid. Yeah, it was the flavour of the month, Marbella. <laughs> Everyone was down in Marbella. And uh, I suppose I was looking, maybe if I. It, it, the, the truth of the matter was, the gear wasn't mine. It wasn't my. It shouldn't have been my shout. But I'm there. I've got previous, a little bit of previous convictions. I didn't want to get six or seven years. I thought I would let him go of court. So I went out to Spain and um, sort of messed about. I don't want to go into that too much, but messed about a little bit out there.
2: When you're deciding to abscond. What plans do you have to make? How are you going to survive? How much money do you need? Where are you going to get the money from? How are you going to keep going?
1: Okay, great questions.
2: So I decided to go with
1: a few quid that I had, plus help from my dad and Joe. and uh, So you you had your passports then, so I, I had, a, I had a, a bent yearly passport. I thought I was like Ronnie Biggs. I were not So out I would go. Very emotional. I had that sort of mixed emotion in me. I, I, I used to. I, I was quite a strong kid, but I was quite tearful. I was quite a tearful kid. So I went out. To, I went out to Marbella, and uh, one thing led to another, and I sort of earned a few quid, which stabilised my stay there. Did you have people that you connected with in Marbella who received you? Absolutely. Absolutely Um, uh, There was a number of people out there Freddie Foreman was there Um, uh, A a, a number of people Who was very Jackie Old Jackie Kramer Who was a beautiful Beautiful Jack Um, Friends of my dad's But you know You're an independent kid I'm 25 years of age And of course I was looked after out there Um, uh, And so It's very hard to be in a place Like Marbella and, and, And not think you're on holiday so first of all it took me time to settle then i got myself involved with a couple of things and got a few quid and um and started to live a life my, my young daughter was only 18 months old so my my wife used to come out every now and again to, to visit me but i was living the life down there it was 1985 but then something really tragic happened um my young brother um do you mind if I speak about that, my young
2: brother? No, please tell us yeah. all about him. Yes, yeah,
1: beautiful boy, uh, an angelic kid. Uh, nothing like me. He was like his mother, like my mother, and he, he wonderful sense of humour. He was into his astrology a bit. Very bright, but he liked to path, He liked to bet. Very bright kid, but he was a very sweet kid. He, he, when you're around people and they've got that sort of. Their being is a, in the present is funny, kind. He wasn't loud like me. He always had a nice thing to say. He didn't want attention. He was a little bit like a wall a wallflower, but had an incredible way about him. And um, he came out there to be with me because my grandfather was dying. And then one night we went out into the port of Benoose, um, and we was with Charlie Wilson, the train robber. Um, all that little mob was about and a lovely, I won't say it, was another lovely friend of mine who passed away, he was, he was up to, up to no good, and it was some funny little moves down there, some great, great moves there was, and, um, he had a bank, a bank manager, this fella, in the UK, and, and I think he had about 10 cards with a daily thing of 250 quid. So he used to say, come with me, son. And, and we'd go one minute to 12, draw the two and a half, one minute past 12, draw the other two and a half. So that was our daily money. It was quite funny, actually. And, um, but I was out of him one night, and we was having a bit of coke, me and my brother and him. And my dad, was sadly, was having an affair. It, it, that was one of my dad's traits, and he was having an affair with a lady. Bless him. And um, we started arguing about him, me and my brother, about two o'clock in the morning. And um, but we were virtually saying the same things. We was just upset. Dad was having an affair. We was high on coke, and we had we had words. It wasn't violent. It was it was it was loud. And he got really upset. My brother and he walked out of the house, and he got down to the ball ring. In, uh, near Porto so I don't know if you know that so I went to look for him and uh, I was in the car and I found him walking around I said whatever I said get in the motor he come back to the motor come back got back in the motor went back to the apartment and then about half an hour later we stopped speaking I went to bed and now it was about four in the morning I hear the car go Rrr! screech and off he goes anyway I go to sleep I wake up in the morning whatever time it was I, I, I went to go to the lavatory and I suppose the size of that glass there was a, a, a shaving mirror where two people could shave. And on the glass, in Vaseline, uh, and I've still got it today, was I love you. And I thought, what's all that about? And, and then all of a sudden I recall what's gone on. So I start to look for him. Phone up England, go around to a few friends of mine's house. He'd gone to my mate's house because his passport was there. No one could find him. So I looked for him anyway. He died. He 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 got he got he got run over. Holy he, he, shit! He was heavy stuff.
2: He got run over like in a pedestrian so I, capacity.
1: He never got run over. Sorry, he, he uh, take that back. He he had a car accident. A car accident. Yeah, and uh, he went up. What he had done? He went on a lorry went over the top of
2: him. Oh my god!
1: So it was heavy stuff, and he was Fuck. in a terrible way, and um Ooh. and his girlfriend was pregnant with his son, so uh, he never met his son obviously. Uh, and eventually I find out that my brother's dead um, in the U.K. Slaughtered, absolutely slaughtered me. So you're in
2: shock. Total shock. How do you pick yourself up out of that? It,
1: it, I don't know. It was really strange. I think it played badly with my mental health. And he died, and in the following day my grandfather died. So, what? So my mother buried her son and her dad on the same day. It was pretty, and I'm wanted. So... um Are you self-medicating with drugs? Absolutely. full. Of, I'm bang at it. And, and my dad arrives with Arthur Sutty and my wife at Malaga Airport. Dad's abusing all the, um, all the police and all the customs and screaming and shouting like a lunatic. Blame me. Didn't know what he was saying. He thought it was me who died and he found out it was my brother. And my brother was the angel. He was the baby of the family. And so we go to the morgue. And I know that my brother is. He, he, they say he was. He was squashed. He, 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 we couldn't even see what he looked like. And they pulled it. He pulled the, co- the, the 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 coffin out. And all they showed us, they had a sheet over him. But I looked down the sheet and I could see that he didn't exist. And all we could see was this part of his face, just this right hand side. And foolishly, I pulled the sheet back a little bit, and it it, it wasn't nice. My dad tried to get him out of the coffin drunk. The the, the, the security came. Oh, he wanted to carry his boy. He wanted to cuddle his boy for the last time. Uh, and they weren't having it. And that night, all the faces came to see Brian Foreman, uh, Charlie Smith, uh, Jackie Kramer. They all came down to visit the old man. He was gone, my dad. He, he, he slaughtered all of us. It, it, it was the breakup of my family, really.
2: Breakup of my family. He was a beautiful boy. Beautiful boy. So you just ploughed into self-medication then to try and numb the pain. Absolutely. What drugs were you on?
1: Um, I was I was quite choosy. I I used to have a, a fetish for cocaine, cannabis, and and I used to like drinking champagne and brandy. So that was my sort of my hit. And uh, but after that, I got very heavily involved with cocaine abuse, big time. How long was the haze? Um, do you know what it, it, it's? It went on and on and on and on, and in the end, I was I was in self pity mode, and I used the my brother as an excuse to feel pain constantly. He was the, he, he, he That was the excuse in the end, but I was devastated, absolutely devastated. I blamed myself. I used to get on them ecstasy tablets and go up to his. Up to his um his cemetery and I'd fall asleep up there crying, my mind. I used to scream at God, what have you done? Um and it was tragic. He was only twenty one and he he broke my heart and, and his son was born sort of six months after. And um he was a beautiful boy, his son, Charles. And so it just went on and then I started having affairs. I, I I I disconnected and and there's no excuse. I have to take responsible for, responsibility for my own behaviour. But I started having affairs with people close to me. Uh, it wasn't nice. It, it wasn't nice
2: at all. Were you getting more heavily involved in criminal activity as well? Um, in a way, no.
1: In a way, yes. I I I I wasn't capable. Of of trusting myself, not that I'd ever say anything wrong in a police station, but my ability to do, my ability to be on point. I I just went into a bag of coke for about two or three years, and uh, and I had an affair with my wife's friend, and and I think I think I had a bit of a breakdown, Uh, but I never went and got uh, any help. I self medicated and wound up on a Valium
2: and and pints of beer. What were the symptoms of the breakdown? (laughs)
0: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Uh, The symptoms of the breakdown was, um, I thought I was losing my mind. Um, I couldn't sit still. I started talking to myself a little bit. Uh, I was gone. It was like as if there was uh, something had sort of taken me over. And and I'm very honest about it. You know, it, it, it made me very weak, very vulnerable. I got very angry. Um, I I couldn't put two words together, uh, but I fought it. I, I fought it. So I believe in a gallant way, because I didn't give in to it, and uh, it, it frightened my parents. it you know, they'd lost one child, uh, my grandfather, and. And, and Do you know, back in the day, in the 80s, it ain't like it is today where you can go and speak to someone, it's advertised everywhere, Samaritans or, or, or NA groups or, or church or self-help groups, it's out there, you've only got to go on the internet. Well, then it was sort of a weakness if you had a breakdown. You, you can't have a breakdown, you, you're, you're, you're a whatever you are. Uh, and, and so it made me hide it. Uh, I, I hid it out on the outside world, but to the inner circle...
2: You know, they realised there was something wrong. With when there's a tragedy like that, it can break families apart. How was the relationship with your parents? You, what while you were in that haze? Well, my dad was having an affair,
1: and uh, and I don't mean to discredit my father here, but six months after my, uh, or nine months or a year after my, yeah, no, six months after my brother died, the girl he was with, she had a child, so it completely smashed us. And I think a lot of people sort of, and I don't want to decry my dad because he was a lovely old boy, but people lost respect for him um, uh, because he left my mum. He didn't know what he was, he was gone, the old man was gone. And uh, so my mother sort of grabbed hold of my brother's newborn baby. And um, the mother of that uh, of Charles, and she took them home to the house, and she sort of self-medicated on. My mum had a my mum's uh, threshold was always love, the love an action. It was always an action of love. So she sort of just stayed on her own, broken hearted. My sister run off to her life, and and I was out of my nut, and uh, my dad went to live in Ibiza. So it was just a completely this the, the the closeness of the family w- was broken, and I think that was a biggie as well.
2: So you progress to work with a crime syndicate. How does that come about? So I'm very careful what I say,
1: and I, I don't want to sort of mention people's names at all. Yeah, let's not do that. And I, and all I can do is talk about what I got arrested for but there was a lots of stuff that went on so what happened is after this sort of affair the breakdown um, I had to get away and so the, my father uh, had a, f- a number of connections uh, out in Morocco and uh, he said you know do you fancy going out there which I did uh, and I went to live in Spain again with not a lot of money uh, enough to sort of get this enterprise going um and uh they were help sort of they was um Italians, Bosnians um a few a few Americans in there they was uh they was the uh there was a the transportation i believe this will come out in the newspaper allegedly for a big cocaine operation coming out of south america that that wasn't us but we, we, we used the same transport. We didn't know that. And um, we started to sort of play around in Morocco and, and into the UK. Uh, and then we, um, we bought a, a huge amount home uh, on a boat, on a fishing boat. Um, well, we never bought it home. We was the entry. Uh, and that got aborted in the Bristol Channel in 92. Um, huge amount. Uh, and then the following November, they was following us quite in, 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 intense. After Joe and the old man had been nicked at the late 80s, uh, it was on the both of them. And, and, I, and I think they fitted Joe up uh, and Joe got 14 years for something completely different. Uh, and they wanted the old man and all. Um, and so we went to work with uh, smuggling cannabis. And in in 93, November 93, Uh, in a place called Biddeford in North Devon. Uh, There was armed officers there. There was 17 of us, so there was about 60 officers there. I think there was about 10 armed, 12 armed, all night sights, and it was like a bit of a scene from a film. And uh, we got nicked, Uh, and that
2: was in 1993. Just slowing this down a bit then, what was it like arriving in Morocco? What's that like?
1: Yeah, I used to love it there. Morocco was fantastic in Tangiers, and a friend of a friend, um, I I can't say names, but there was a lady who lived out there, and she was a sort of a little bit, come from a wealthy background, quite posh, Uh, and up in the Rift Valley, there was a lot of sort of um, ex uh, brits living out there. expats living out there, but older than me, and, and they were quite well to do, like retired artists, um, there was a governess there, there was a this there, there was all sorts of people going on there. So my friend introduced me to them, there was a couple of gay guys there who I used to play backgammon with, so I sort of mingled in with the straight crowd, <laughs> but uh, I loved it. I mean, the Casbah, I, I was around it, it was all, all corruption, it was it, I, it, right up my street, uh, and I got right involved out there, and and had some uh, and had some fun, had some fun, and I, I fell in love with the place. And uh, the addict popped up, and I started to enjoy the the nightlife there. I should have been working, but I sort of gravitated to the the cocaine and the women a little bit. Uh, sorry if that offends you, Trace.
2: Was the drug scene different there?
1: Very much so. It was How? M- more cloak and dagger. Uh, the, the, the the cannabis was like uh, was like. It, it's their product you know it's not it doesn't seem like an illegal substance to them and um, and so it's everywhere it, it, it wasn't heavy it wasn't sort of a cocaine scene there was a, you had to be careful there um, it was more of a sort of a drinky um, cannabis scene um, but across the road in Marbella it, it, you could get what you want and do what you like there you
2: know? was there an element of danger in Morocco I lived
1: on that I, I that was a buzz for me uh, that was a buzz for me. I was a mixture of a, of an opposite. I, I could be very fearful, uh, and yet I could be fearless. And a situation happened to me which was quite which quite unusual. When I went into this place with with with, a, with, a, with one of these guys, there was a few heavy Moroccans. What there. place is this? This is Morocco, and um, we're going on a meeting to see the quality of of, of the stuff that we got arrested for. So um, I want to try it, and they said well, you know, they wasn't happy about that. It was like as if I was discrediting them or not believing them. But I'm an addict. I want to puff. So, so, I, and this is Michael to a T. So we're in this beautiful building. It was like a fifty pence piece shaped building, like like a like a big turret. It was. It was lovely. It was all sort of open windows and pretty girls and children and. Uh, 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 all sorts of things going on and I'm up in this room with these two guys one of them's armed
2: what do the guys look
1: like? Uh, just tough looking geezers but I never used to take the notice of that that never used to bother me I I think it was more of a show but they think that we're coming from an organised criminal syndicate in London Uh, and you know they, 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 they think things about you and you use that to your advantage so I'm the son of one of them and uh i'm having a puff but i've got really stoned and i shouldn't have done and i've put my feet up on the side and they're all looking at me but i've gone i'm having a a a good conversation i'm i I, i'm not coherent i've gone (laughs) so i'm getting banged in the ribs a little mouse comes from behind the curtain and it frightened me and i've jumped up and went my god there's a mouse (laughs) The geezer with the gun went, Yeah, you know, what's the big deal? And that was that was my vulnerability. Now, three months later, I'm nicked with a gun being pointed at me. And not because I'm not frightened of guns, but I had no fear when I got arrested. And I thought about it the other day, I thought you was frightened of a mouse. That sort of... And yet you're not frightened of this crazy arrest. It was a big arrest. It was a naughty arrest. And I wondered what that was in me. And it was always that yin and yang, that that opposite in me, that abused child, that frightened... You know, why am I being abused? Crying out, someone help me in my head. So I could function in that, but I could also function in a very brave, sort of gallant man. But it confused me.
2: Before you got arrested... Did you have any inkling was anything out of the ordinary starting to happen?
1: What, in the in the atmosphere, do you mean? Yes. Absolutely. Can you describe was what was happening? Well, what was happening was we found out that it was on us, yeah? I'm not going to say how, but you can imagine how we found out. And the first enterprise, the first... Um, uh, Deal that went over in the Bristol Channel, we would—they'd watched us do this This was an
2: aborted mission, was it? That was the aborted mission. Yeah. So, so you, they knew they were being watched, so they decided to abandon the project.
1: Well, that wasn't our—that wasn't our shout at that particular time. These people had come from a place called Cap Verde, and it had nothing to do with us. That bit. Yeah. They—they—they travelled and whatever they'd done, changed ships, so they say. Um, but it was on them because of the cocaine runs that the other people were doing. It was it was massive. I mean, when it came out in the papers, it was massive. It was huge. Now we was only a, a link in the chain, um, but it was organised international crimes. It, the Americans was on it. They'd open, by, all, by allegedly they'd opened a, a bank account in the Cayman Islands a, a, and drew this South American cartel to put their money in there. I don't know how they managed to do that. But when they got nicked, there was tons of cocaine, nothing to do with us, a moyette painting, copious amounts of money, uh, and, and we're using this, the same bit of transport, not that we knew, to bring the cannabis home. Now, we wasn't in charge of that bit. We was in charge of the entry with a fisherman down in, in Bitterford. So when they aborted, they aborted out in the Bristol Channel. I think... Something went on. I'm not sure. There was another boat spotted. Apparently, I'm um, with Boris the bastard, the, 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 the Boris kid. He was a lunatic. This geezer. We stayed in an hotel that night. And we was in these two beds and, and he had a chest on him, it was like a big barrel chest. And when he took his shirt off, he had a crucifix on him, it was that big, yeah? <laughs> And I've looked at it and my, I, I didn't I, I didn't have faith then, but my nan was a, a Catholic, so I knew about Jesus and all what went on. And I respected the church. Anyway, he's took this crucifix off. It must have weighed—I don't know. It was right. Everything. I think I will give him. A, I had to give him a hand getting it off. Put it on the table, and he looked at. He put his hand on top of it, and he said, "My God, this is a gift from God. This cannabis." So I said, "Okay." And he's, this is a gift. For, anyway, we lose it. The following day, he ain't too happy. How did you lose it? Well, we don't know. It gets aborted. Oh, this is the aborted lot. This is the aborted lot. So, very foolishly, my old man says, "Get out of there." But we want to go and find out what's going on. Yeah. So we've got a a car that's not registered to no one, and we drive to Swansea, where the boys have come in, over bolted the bolted the load, and there was a Frenchman and, and these three Africans. Um it's like someone died on this boat. But Boris is just as, as brazen, he walks in, I don't. I, I, I put a balaclava on me, a scarf, and I jump over the fence, not that it done me any good. And it was being b- b- by the customs. So we go on this boat, there's, there's an outrageous argument. No one gets hurt, but there's an outrageous. And, and Boris is going, we dive, we go diving! It's November, or January. We dive. It's ruined. You know, he wants to dive for it. It's 20 so the drugs minutes. were thrown overboard. The drugs were thrown overboard. Gotcha. They say it was 10 ton. Yeah. So that was that. Now, we're being watched. We all leave. As I'm driving down the road, I get pulled over by a, a patrol car that the customs wanted to know who was in the car. So they didn't know I was in the car. So they give me a pull for, 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 um, for speeding. They're just finding out who I am. I was going to give a wrong name, but I never... I thought, no, I don't want to cause any trouble. We've done nothing wrong up until now. Anyway, Boris goes off, and uh, I go off. They let us go. But the operation had now... It had taken place, and they was on it, and and, and they wanted us. So we found out uh, via someone who knew somebody. They said, look, it's on you. So I was living in Spain at the time anyway. So we go back to Spain, and we down tools uh, for a number of months. But, you know, greed plays a funny part in your in your life. You're used to the huge amount of money that you're trying to earn. And, and it's the buzz as well. You're addicted to it. So um, we went back to work. And in November the 7th in, in the early 90s, we bought four and a half tonne in. I, I know it was
2: five tonne. So you said the um, load that was dumped was 10 tonne, was it? They say it was ten. Ton. They said it was ten. They like yeah. the headlines. Yeah, but then you came along with four and a half ton of our own, of your own. Well, of, of a con- of a consortium. Okay, so when the ten ton was dumped, usually someone's going to be held responsible when there's that amount of loss in an operation like this. Yeah, are you able to say what what kind of would ha- would the aftermath would be of that to the people that they would ha- help would be held responsible?
1: Well, what it was. Because the ten ton allegedly came out of a a, a, a bigger lump, right? And did you say this was
2: coca weed?
1: No, this is cannabis. It's cannabis hash. So allegedly, there was there was loads of it. Yeah, ten tons enough, but they said there was more. Now, whatever they do, what I've been told is how they operate. So there's different responsibilities at different given times. So our responsibility only came into play if we'd have picked it up. And we wasn't the owners of that. We was doing someone a service by making an entry into the UK. So it had nothing to do with us other than we was going to bring it into the UK. Our our, our boat was a fishing vessel. He was a tough kid, this fisherman. And he would up in Lundy Island. Bad weathers. Anyway, it gets aborted. So basically... We were safe. Whatever happened after that, only God knows. I, I never found out, and I, and I never ventured to find out.
2: So you said there was a Frenchman and three other guys. Yeah, three Africans. So like they that. would have been in trouble, would they?
1: Well, I, I suppose if it gets aborted, it gets aborted.
2: Yeah. Or so. is that like from the top? They just say aborted. I,
1: I would imagine. So I, I imagine what I imagine that they realised that they was in trouble. Yeah. And there'd probably been some activity that they'd seen. Uh, and 10 tonne, uh, so they say, it's a, I mean, a lot to get rid of. I mean, it, it's, it's quite a lot. But they managed to do it. And when they'd done that, they then got uh, one of the HMS sort of boats, Royal, or whatever they are there, I don't know what they're called. They went out and towed them in.
2: If you get caught with that, what kind of sentence are you looking at?
1: Well, 10 ma- tonne. Maximum's only 14 years, but it's the fine you've got to be careful of. It, it, it's the fine that you can sort of double your figures up, you know, if you, if it's a huge amount. Uh, and you have to pay it or do the bird or do the prison sentence. And uh, that adds time on. Absolutely. It's the, uh, it, it's, the it's the fine. That, and they work it out. If you, if they think, if you just arrive with 10 tonne, they don't think it's the first time you've done it.
2: So you've got money in the bank
1: somewhere. Somewhere, something's hidden somewhere. But the operation that was going on behind this was massive. It was international. They was Bosnians, Italians... There were some people from the States. It was heavy going. We wasn't part of that consortium. We was an add-on for the entry into the UK. So then they came back and asked, do we want to get involved again? Uh, And I said, yes. Yeah. And so we attempted to... uh, Similar deal, similar deal. Um, I'd like to explain it to you, but I can't. Uh, Very exciting it was. Um, and um but I, I can't put that out on here um, so um we got involved. we put our operation in place, our little fishermen went out again, and we secured it, yeah, unbeknown to us that they was being watched the whole time, and there's a tidal at Bidderford, there's a there's a tide that goes out and comes in into the harbor, so we was due home on, on the midnight tide on November the 7th. So we're hanging about down in Biddeford, me and my associates, and we go into the town just to d- d- get some food and just have a little look around, see what we, you know, you get that sort of six cents and, and you have a look about. And uh, see one or two things I didn't like. So, so so my back went up a little bit. And all of a sudden, out of the pub comes the the fisherman. It was meant to be out of sea. His surname was Fishley. I'm sorry, Dick. He was a strong character, this guy. Proper. You wouldn't like to get a right hand off this fisherman. And he falls out of the pass. I said, well, what are you doing? He went, your shit's over there. And where the water had gone out, it'd come in on the morning tide without telling anybody. Yeah. So when the tide had gone out, the boat's on its capsized, waiting for the water to come back in to raise the boat up so the boat's there we've got it it's home and dry there's there's four and a half ton I thought that dude, do and the security around this these people the, the secure measures that they took to secure this with um, Donald Duck voicemails and, and uh, different runs of views numbers there was all that going on it, it it proved worthless it proved worthless so the gear's there but the arrangement to take it off is when the tide comes up we have to wait 12 hours now I'd done my job yeah, I'd done my job and I shouldn't really be there my dad told me not to be there but it was greed yeah it was greed yeah what was the street value and what was your piece? <laughs> the street value was um, I suppose it's uh, t- about 10 mil
2: in that time period of money or now?
1: yeah I can't tell you my piece it, it was enough though
2: so it was worth 10 million back then? Yeah. So if you forward decades then, how much is it worth today? Like 20, 30 mil? Something like that. Yeah.
1: Something like that. But so- it was a saving grace, yeah? And this is when I know that there's, a, there's something else that goes on. There's a, power, there's a power higher than us. They came to me and offered me to put on there um, a large amount of cocaine and they said listen we can hide it on there and we'll give you half of it and you sell the other half for us and I agreed it I weren't going to tell anybody yeah I would have told them afterwards it wasn't there to so I could sort of have it for myself I'd have shared out but I didn't want to tell anyone I thought they might frighten them and things like that but now you're talking about 14 years up to 30 years makes a big difference and when I'd all I said oh, I'll do it and there's a story that goes with it, and I won't go into it, but something told me... Can you go into it? Well, no, it's just... It was a moment that's nothing... A criminal story. I was on the beach in Spain, and they say to me, do you want to put that on as well? And I go, you got that, yeah? And it comes to huge amounts of money, yeah? As they said, we can hide it, we put it with a puff, yeah? I said, you got that. As I leave, I was married to an Italian girl out there. Her father had restaurants out there, a young lady called Daniela. And... She was very sort of spiritual, this kid, uh, and, and and she had a, a sixth sense, you know. So as I'm driving up the hill to go home after agreeing to do it, I've seen her in the motor crying. So I went... She drove off. So I thought, what's the matter? So I spin round in the car, see someone I know there who I didn't totally fancy, actually. I'm not saying he was a wronger, but I didn't fancy him. I, there was something about him I didn't sort of gel with. And I don't know if it was them two factors, but I thought, you can't put the cocaine on. You can't do it. So I go down to the beach, lucky to find them there, and say, don't put the coke on. Oh, come on, you know, don't make no difference. And it wasn't because I was frightened, because you're in it to win it. And this would have doubled the money. So I said, no, don't put it on. Thank God I made that decision. Thank God I made that decision, because I'd have got 30 years. But I I do believe that there's... um, that our lives are planned out in, in a faith-based way, and I think that was a, a, a positive for me. I don't know what made me do it, but something inside me—and I'm a greedy kid—I like money, and I'm not—I f- wasn't frightened. So I often wonder why did I why did I say no? But thank God I did. Anyway, that was that part. So we then leave. We go. We go into ha- into Amsterdam. We come home, uh, and that's when we get. Then I go down to uh, Bidderford. Shouldn't have gone. The old man said, "Don't go," but I did. And that's when I got nicked. Did you know how much shit you were in when you got nicked? That yin and yang in me, that opposite in me, me um, adrenaline took over. I knew I was in trouble. I got a gun pointed at me head. And, but it was really funny. I've got quite a powerful voice. It's my gift. And I can use it to bless. I can also use it to curse. It's got me in a lot of trouble in my mouth. And... Um, All of a sudden, I've I've come over the bridge in Biddeford, they're all nicks, I don't know they're nicks, I shouldn't be there, but very foolishly, 48 hours prior to that, we'd had a bit of a late night, so I was a little bit jarred, I never used to use drugs or get drunk when I was working, but it was a little bit of a a drink and that, and I stayed at my pal's house, and I got my driver with me, bless him, God rest his soul, ex-bank robber, lovely boy. Uh, and my mate, my partner, he's from Devon. Well, he's not from Devon, he's from Surrey, but he's a, he's like a bullock, this guy. He's a right strong kid. He's a game kid. So we was in it, you know, we was a good firm. We, we was in And there weren't no gangsters or faces and all that, only my dad. Uh, and they're mostly like fishermen, Peter... Our ex-driver, the driver who died, he was an ex-bank robber. So as we've come over Bidderford Bridge, he's, the gear's going to be moved and we're just going to give our eyes a treat. We're going to watch it. As we've come over the bridge, boom, all these allergen lights come on and they start shouting out my name. Michael let me get out of the car. for Oh my God, the game's up. So I duck in the car, there's a night sight, and I tell the geezer to drive. I say, "I'll oh, drive, drive. He said, they're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. And he takes off in third gear. So the car goes, they're everywhere. And up the side of Bidderford on the quay, there's a wall, there's, a, there's some steps, a staircase. They're all over the wall like that. And it seems surreal. But one thing it was, I wasn't at all frightened or perturbed. And I got out of the motor, and for a minute, they started pistol whipping my co-defendant and dragged Trot Allen out of the car and they're screaming at me. And for some unknown reason, they had they had a belief about me that wasn't true. They thought I was a right tough heavy I was a broken soul. They didn't realise they thought I, I was something I weren't. And um I had someone's number in my pocket. No one who was naughty, but I didn't want them to get this number. So as they're screaming and shouting, I remember the number. And I've got to put my hand in the pocket so I can eat it. And they shout out, he's got a concealed weapon. Now, it could be dangerous. So I've gone to everyone. I don't know what. I said, shut up, all of you. It was cold. It was noisy. I went, shut up. I just, I wanted the world to stop for a minute so I could gather myself. And it was quite bizarre, but for about ten seconds, everyone shut up. Everyone stopped. And I went, what? I put it in my mouth. Anyway, then they got me. They smashed me to the floor, whacked me with this stick, got a gun, and I'm on the floor. And I'm his trophy now. And for some reason, they're focused on this villain's son, that they've got this image that I might shoot someone. I wouldn't shoot anyone. And... uh I'm not saying I haven't been, a, you know, whatever I've been around and seen, but that's not really what I was like. I used to like money and women. And, um, and I was, self-praise is no praise, but I was quite a good criminal. I was quite a game. But also stupid, to be honest with you. Anyway, I'm nicked, gun pointed at me head, and he's gone to me, we gotcha, we gotcha. And I was looking at him, and I, I told him to f-, f off. And he went to me, a penny for your faults, And I'll never forget, I was looking up in the sky. It was November the 7th. It was a blustery old night. Clouds were moving about like they was being blown. And I felt a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and he said, depending to your thoughts, and I said, my three children. He said, what? And I had a tear in me eye. He said, e- are you all right? I said, leave me alone. And I was thinking about me kids. The next thing I know, I'm carted off to this police station. Heavy sort of when we when they moved us, there was armed coppers. There it was heavy going, and I just thought it was a little bit over the top. But it was from the connections abroad, plus the old boy, my dad, and we was meant to be on the book. But some are, I don't know how, I don't know how, but we all wound up in Exeter prison with. The fisherman and my co-defendant and it was four of us that they said was principal organisers the Frenchman me my dad and my co-defendant Peter and we should have been on the book going to Bristol but something happened that we never went we stayed in Exeter and um the reality of the arrest never hit me because a lot of ego a lot of pride everyone's going like oh, who's this and he was a little bit infamous My dad and um and we was there, and, and, and I suppose you, you know, the notoriety of, well, oh, who's that, and all that. And and, and Exeter's quite a funny, not, not to be disrespectful, but it's down in Devon, and there's sort of, I don't mean to be rude to the kids, but there's a lot of sort of, I, I shouldn't say, it cause it's being rude. But there was a lot of b- big boys with big heads, and it was all like macho. And we're Londoners; we're outnumbered. But because of the thing you nick with, it gives you a get out of jail card free. That everyone leave you alone. You know that you know the score,
2: and and so you live on that bit for a little while. And in reality, in So you said you didn't show fear when the guns were pointed on, on you. At least externally, internally was there some kind of like when the SWAT team smashed my door down and I saw the guns I'm thinking oh fuck my life's over in seconds if one of these fuckers pulls the trigger right now look at their faces they look like they just want to shoot me I'm like fucking hell <laughs> didn't you have any Was was going through your head
0: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha in my dentist's office I mean, I don't want to sound like a big,
1: tough guy. Yeah. But the mouse frightened the life out of me. (laughs) But I don't know, for some unknown reason, it never, it never, I was was really on point. Fear came afterwards when I thought, God, dear, oh, Lord. And he come down to me, the, the arresting officer. And I hadn't, he said, look, and they let four people go. And one of them was my driver, because he was nothing to do if he was just driving me. And he was said to me, look, Alan won't leave the police station, he thinks your dad's going to kill him. I said, oh, okay, he's watching the TV too much, my dad ain't going to kill anyone. He went, no, he won't leave, he thinks your dad's going to kill him. So after going and get him out of the cell, I say, Al, you've got to leave. He went, everyone to think I'm a grass. Alan Trotter was not an informer. Mm. I put that right out there. Alan Trotter was not an informer. They let him and three others go. And as I'm in the cell getting rid of Al, you know, how can you tell? I'm, I say, Al, oh, you've got to leave. He don't want to leave. I said, you can't leave. They're letting you go, mate. Get out of here. What would you do? I said, I'd leave. And then he said to me, the customs officer, Mr. Boyd. He said, Mike, well, you've got to give me your name and address. You've been here for 36 hours or 24 hours, and I need to charge you. I said, I ain't telling you. You know my name. You know where I live. He said, Michael, please. He said, Look, can I have a chat? I said, Go on. He said, Look, no one's, whatever was said was said. He said, But you and your old man, he said, But at least just give us his name and address. We want to charge you. So I said, OK. And uh, I said, I'm not, no, I'm making your life easy, mate. He said, I'll tell you what to do. He said, What's made me sort of warm to you, or words to that effect? He said, For all this tough stuff that's going on, When the arresting officer said, a penny for your thoughts, he said, you had a tear in your eye. And I know you weren't crying because you was nicked. It was for your kids, wasn't it? I said, yeah, it was. He said, I'll tell you what to do. If you give me your name and address, I'll let you talk to your children. I said, you've got my name and address. So I got a phone call to the family, my children and my my wife. How'd that feel? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was, was, do you know what? I wanted wanted to cry. I was like a big baby when it comes to them. I love my children. And so I'm nicked, and uh, and that was it, and then we wound up at Exeter.
2: What was said on the call?
1: I, I love you, I'm, I'm sorry. When I, when they phoned up, it, they left it for a day because they was in the house spinning it for seven hours. I said, you ain't gonna find anything there.
2: Um, so. And the, the people on the other end of the phone then, your family, when I spoke to my mom the first call, I could hear the heartbreak in her voice. Yeah. That really got to me. Mm. What kind of tone would they did they have with you?
1: First of all, it was excitement because I was on the phone, and then the reality set set in, uh, and my wife was started to sort of scream—not scream, but she got very emotional. A friend of mine was there; I got managed to talk to him, and I and I was managed to talk to my eldest daughter. That's when I went daddy daddy where are you daddy where are you and i melted and, and i give the customs officer his due i i've got very tearful he walks out the room and i, I just said i love you uh, and i'll be honest with you i wanted to get off the phone um talk i found it difficult to talk to my mum to be honest yeah?
2: well your dad told you to leave town you didn't leave town did you think oh shit! i'm going to bollocking off my dad <laughs>
1: absolutely Absolutely. They nicked him in an hotel in Brighton. He was right out of the way, the old man. And so I was gunning. Part, part of the same conspiracy. Yeah, yeah, they nicked him. They was it'd been on us for eighteen months. So they nicked the old man, they nicked the old boy. And he was in his sixties then, bless him. When did you have that chat with him? Um about a day before I went down. A day before I went down. I just said, Look, you keep out of the way. And his involvement was introductions and things like that. He would sort of hung, hung his gloves up a little bit. But he liked the money. And um, and he was a good man to have on your side. He, he, he had quite a bit of respect, the old boy. And, um, yeah, so he was a good man to have on your side. Nutty Irishman. Love him, love him dearly. But when he come in, in, when I see he was nicked, I was devastated. I was in a prison cell for two years with him. He drove me nuts. He was in the prison cell for two years with me? Two years with me. What? Two years with the old man. Yeah, it was was unbelievable. Holy shit. All
2: right, before we get to that then, let's just do this chronologically. So you're in some bumpkin jail in the far southwest coast of the UK. Yep. You're riding on your kudos of the headline news. Yeah. Are they like, do they like strip search you? Do you get assigned to a cell? Do you got cellmates? Are you in a dorm? What, what's what's your living situation?
1: So, if Victorian, um, draconian place, sort of dark, little sort of that. But um, the prison officers were, were, were sort of near retirement. The inmates were sort of. Uh, this is not, it sounds terrible, but there wasn't sort of big criminals in there. It was more it was a few murderers and a few people, but on the old, it was a local jail that they sort of come in on remand and went out. And there was about two or three London firms down there who were nicked for co- uh, for cannabis. And so you walk in there, it's that suicide blue colour. They put me and the old man in a cell with a radio. There's all bogeys on the wall. It was horrible. And uh, a lot of addiction there, a lot of heroin addiction there. And um, I turned the radio on and that Chris Rear song came on as I pressed the radio, this is the road to hell. <laughs> <laughs> then he started, the old man. <laughs> I fucking told you what are you doing? I told you this. To. And, and it went on for about... In front of people or in private? No, in private. In private. But, you know, I've had a few altercations with my dad where, where there's been sort of uh, a few, f- f- few sort of naughty situations growing up with him. Not that he was ever a bully, but... We had a few run-ins where where he broke my nose. He nutted me on the nose, bless him. I forgave him immediately.
2: So when he's dressing you down like that, are you just taking it, showing respect to him, or do you feel like rebelling and saying something back? Good question.
1: So that changed over the years because I was in, I used to be, I drove him mad growing up. I used to smash his cars up. He used to lock his bedroom so I wouldn't get in there. My mum used to leave the window open. I'd get in and take whatever I wanted. I used to love his clothes. His trousers never fit in me. Jackets did. I'd nick his car. He used to find me in clubs. He'd come with Joe and find me. I was on the coke and smoking the freebase. And I was with a... I was a toy boy. So we had all that from a child at school. I should drive him mad at the school. I never used to wear me cap and I'd get arrested as a kid. and So it progressed and it was fearful. But now the roles had reversed. He was 64, I think, and I was 34.
2: So yeah. he's considered like an old-timer in prison then.
1: Yeah. And so he, I see his demeanour change. Whether it was an act or whether it was real, he acted like an old man. So I'd say, don't worry, I've got this. So when he snapped, I weren't having it I made him right it's my stupidity I made him right but there's no free lunches he'd got away with it for so long <clears throat> excuse me Trailer, tri- trials at the Old Bailey for other stuff so uh, he, he, he had a, you know he had an unofficial record my old man so when he got his lump of bird <clears throat> at a tender age of 64 it, it, it was the price he paid how much bird did he get? he got 12 and a half years and we had a 3 million pound fine how many years did you get? I got the same. I'll do or do six years with the fine, but on the point of law at the appeal courts, we got out of the fine, and it, it only wound up 400,000. What point of law was that? Well, what it was, they, we got advised wrong, but they said that we had, we had paid for the transport to get the gear from where it came from to London, and it was argued in court that the evidence although we pleaded guilty in the end because they dropped the first charges. Uh, it, I'll tell you what it was. This is what it was. But it's a long... I don't want to go into it too deep. If there's an informant, yeah, it's changed now. If there's an informant, they have to reveal the informant in the court case because every bit of evidence, the undisclosed evidence has to be seen, right? They changed the law the month before we went into, into trial. And a mate of mine, over my informant, who we never found who it was, he was abroad, got out of a. He was arrested for four hundred kilos, and because of my grass, they wouldn't bring him into the court. So Judge Barrington Black, out in East London, released my friend from the court. So we was running that story, right. So when we was running that story, they, they changed it. It was a white paper. This is true. They changed it about a month before we went in court. So instead of the prosecution and the uh, 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 sorry, the prosecution and the defence discussing it, and if they say, listen, that's the grass. He's got to be named. You had a chance of walking, but they they po- changed the point of law. This is all fact. So it made it harder. I think it come to the stage where you had to name him there's too many people involved so that's where we got out so they offered us a deal come away from the three million pound i hope that doesn't sound confusing and they said he's four hundred thousand and give us 12 and a half years we never got out of it at the appeal courts we got a few years off at the appeal courts on a point of law of the summing up of my father
2: so how long were you on remand Two stretch Two years. Two years on remand. Two years, so similar yeah. to me then. Yeah. It's stressful, isn't it, remand? Because you never know quite what's going to happen to you. Um, like, getting sentenced to nine and a half years is one of the happiest days of my life. Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. The fucking all that anxiety, not knowing what was going to happen, was gone.
1: It's a relief, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Did you find that?
1: Yeah, no. Uh, it was all right. It was a relief that it was over. It was a relief that we got out the fine and only had to give 100 grand each instead of... Eight hundred thousand, or do a number of years so that was a that was a relief i tell you what done me though was when after i got weighed off sent sent the 12 and a half years being with your dad's pretty odd you know what i mean for the first two i was I, at all the prison centers i was with him the whole thing but not in the cell all the time yeah <laughs> done every day with him it's hard. <laughs> We nearly killed each other. Wow. <laughs> I took a little bit of a liberty with him a few times because he wound up on the cannabis and I was, it was getting him a bit stoned early days. And uh, Yeah, it's a funny story that goes with that. But, um, yeah, funny story. I put a little bit of crack in his joint. I shouldn't have done it. Mm. Oh, mate. And he was getting married to a, a psychiatric nurse in the prison. What? And I'm sorry if I'm offended, but I, my mate, he said, roll me a joint, the old man so he's getting married he's all dressed up he's getting married and foolishly I don't know what made me because I wasn't smoking it it was a bit on the side I put a bit of crack in he's like, only a little bit but he's never had it before his tongue's tongue oh, and
2: God.
1: they call him from the chapel Emmett. he's getting married he can't and he's going what have you done so I walk him into the governor's office like this with his um, fourth wife to be it's a psychiatric <laughs> noise I think that's why he married her with the governor and the vicar with the Bible open. And pants and pants. So the governor said, What's the matter, Brian? I said, He's a bit nervous. And his wife was on it. She went, Nervous? This is his fourth marriage. He shouldn't be nervous. I said, No. <laughs> so I got a cupcake, whammed it in his mouth. Orange, and after about five or ten minutes, he'd come round and he went to me with his mad eyes. He should sleep with one eye open, my dad. He said, You wait. But I so, oh. saw,
0: <laughs> it was like I was
1: a kid. So that went on. Did you go to trial then? We went, in the end, we had a, there was about a nine month trial. Nine month trial? To come. It was, it was 17 of us. It was a broad, maybe not, it was a long trial. It must have cost millions to do that. But we, that was the deal. So they offered us to drop the first importation, which was the allegedly 10 ton, that they charge us for two and a half ton because they drudged it up in the Bristol Channel. Four and a half ton, plus the uh, DTOA, which is the fine. So it looked like we were going to do about 18 stretch. Um, but a miracle took place. and So the deal was, if you hold your hands up, my old man's never held his hands up. He said, no effer, my mate, I, I'm fighting this. And um, we held our hands up. We pleaded guilty to the first, second importation. They dropped the fine from £3 million to £400,000, which was easy to sort of whatever. And um, and then we... Um, so, yeah, we got 12 and a half years and uh, out the fine sort of thing. And um, and that was it. And it was a relief. But I tell you, answering your question, the following morning, when I wake up, they put how many days you're doing under your cell. It's the EDR, that's your early date of release, your latest date of release. But instead of years, it's in days. And I think mine was about five and a half thousand. And it freaked me out. I thought,
0: oh, God, Almighty!
1: And my stomach went over. But I got on with it. The old man, he, he, he was cool. But when he got weighed off, when he got sentenced, the old man, because they said, he said to me, Dad, they changed the indictment to Peter Bracken and others, to Brian Emmett and others. And he said, you're the ringleader. We know who you are. Thank you that you've come to the mercy of the court, because he was pleading not guilty. He said, don't stand up. He said, I sentenced you to 12 and a half years. So the young man went to him, you dirty bee bastard. He said, you've sentenced me to death. So there's a little bit of noise and a, a, a bit of... My mum very humble woman my mum but her son had died her dad had died and her other son was getting 12 and a half years and her husband she let out a noise out of a scream out of a she was devastating my mum my dad's turned round and tried to whack Lamonio he was the French connection so this carnage the judge said I told you I, I knew I was right he never murmured this is where he was tough the old man he never said a word after that he never come home till he was 70. So it's a big chunk, I suppose, to miss out your life. But listen, he had a touch. I think he served about six years, the old man. He had a result, really, after all what he'd been up to. International crime from the States with that mafia mob fact. From Italy, Holland, Spain. So to serve six years out of what he'd done, I would say he was quite lucky, the old man.
2: So once you were sentenced then, did you have to go to a different prison?
1: Well once we were sentenced, we should we should have been on the book there by this is what I got told by the chaplaincy. Excuse me, as a CAT prisoner, which we never went to. And the security that was on us when we was going to court with guns, armed officers, it was pretty pretty intense. So we're now in Exeter prison doing what we want to do. I got Samantha Fox to come down. She's a friend of mine, Sam. And she presented all these sort of disabled kids with a prize. And and there was a video... And and uh, I nicked the video and and, and smuggled it out. Of the jail it was a fantastic video. Got in trouble by the governor, but I, I, I said you ain't having that back. I, I nicked the the, the, the the PO who was a cracking Roy the Bell. His name was. He said you can watch one of those videos, and it was the video of Sam and my wife, and we was all in the church, uh, and and we got some out for Fox in the prison. She was great, Sam, and uh, then we um. Then we had that on video. I've nicked the video, and they've got the ump that I've nicked the video. And I said, You can't have it back. I had an unofficial, an unofficial sort of briefing from the governor, and he went, You're leaving my jail because you're running it. We had Ray Reardon come down the snooker star. remember him. We had him playing snooker there, all raising money for kids. Jimmy White got involved, the snooker player. So all that was going on. And I think we outgrew the place, and they sent us up to the London jails. So we went from there. Me and the old man and, and another kid who I was pals with a kidnapper, him and his mate, they come up with us and then we got on the we get went into the London jail, Swale side, then Maidstone with Reggie Cray and all that, and then we wound up in Blantyre, Latchmere, and home. What was Reg Cray like? He was all right, Reg. He was all right because in that interim period, my brokenness, I needed recovery. Yeah. So I found myself in the chapel. And okay to talk about that? Absolutely. Yeah. So in the chapel, um, where Samantha Fox was part of a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton. And I'm not religious. I'm more spiritual, which I believe the faith that I follow is based. They call it the Holy Spirit. And trust me, I'm not trying to convert anybody. But it changed my life. I'm 21 years sober. Um, I'm still, I'm not perfect, I'm working, I'm a work in progress, but I'm better than I was last year, Um, I've had lots of bad affairs with women, I I haven't been great, Um, and I've let a lot of people down, Um, but in prison I sort of gravitated to the church via Samantha Fox, there was a group of people come down from the church, there was some prayers, there's some stuff that went on, my friends were going, what are you doing, but from that abuse, the child of Bruce, having my dad like he was, my genetic DNA, my grandfather committed suicide, my dad was a bit crazy, so I had that going on as well. And, and, and I was always trying to fulfill something that wasn't real, um, it wasn't a reality. And in the, you know, they say we're powerless over our addictions. We try to fix ourselves on wine, booze, women, drugs, money, ego, pride, none of it works. So, I was looking for a way out, and I had a real um, I had a real experience and and i can 't deny the experience it, it happened to me, and it was part of God part of jesus and it happened to me and it was very hard for me to go back on the landing and all my mates said, "What's going on with him?" <laughs> the old man came in and he played around a little bit, but it was very profound, and something happened and I, and i'm a, I'm a very sort of an unusual man, if something's true and I've seen it, I am not going to deny it. And in my own madness, my, my melody of my own spirit, I needed a better fix than cocaine, masturbating, taking drugs in the nick. Having, t- I've always had two women and I don't mean to be egotistical or decry women, but the two women, my affairs have always been the child abuse, and my mother, so I replicated that story in my life with women, so I always had, was have, always had a wife, and always had something on the side, which I'm not proud of today, but just to come into land with that, so a course started in prison, it was called the Alpha Course, which Samantha Fox helped me start with this church, so there was the corrupt Michael, and now the faith-believing Michael, and... and, and you know, I had I, cr- I had tellies in the nick you weren't meant to have. I, I was getting cannabis in the nick you weren't meant to do, and I was doing all them things. So in the process of change, it wasn't hard to stop those things. What was hard to change, and I'm still doing it today, is the way I think, is what motivates me, what I'm driven by. Um, and addiction is a very cunning and baffling, and we're powerless over it. So, it's like a spiritual operation I needed because it played with my way I thought, my mental health. Um, I I could only do something in life if I had a fix to go with it. So, I I moved through the prison system and this Alpha group and this Alpha course blew and and went around the world. And it's very big today. A lot lot of prisoners have done Alpha in prison. And... um, he had the guy the other day, lovely Shane, he done it, terrific guy.
2: Yeah, Shane Taylor hooked us up. And if you've not seen Knife Maniac's Redemption, it's definitely in the top ten podcasts we have filmed. For this guy to go from such extreme crime to turn his life around and meet his victims and do such good work now, it's really profound. So that's in the True Crime podcast. I'll put the link in the description box below this video. Oh, bless you. So you said there was an event that sparked your epiphany? Yeah. What was the event?
1: Well, we we got in, we invite these people down a guy called Nicky Gumble, he he runs the big church. He's great Nicky. And in this church, it is it's a celebrity church as well. There's the, the 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 congregation are wealthy, but they're not. They work with the homeless, they work with the prostitute, they work with a drug addict, they work with a the homeless. They work with everybody. A great church, big congregation. So my wife then was friends with Samantha Fox and Sam was at Holy Trinity Brompton. Now I'm looking for moves, Sam Fox, Ray Reardon coming down. I'm looking for angles constantly because I can't sit with Michael. I need a fix. So Sam's at the church. My wife, Daniela, the, the Spanish-Italian lady, she said, look, go in the church. I said, yeah, I'll go and eat and get a few phone calls. So I start to gravitate to that. And... um And I was unwell. I was using a lot of drugs in the nick. And Sam introduced me to the leaders of the church. So they straight away, they think they've got a soul saved. I'm not looking to be saved. I'm looking for an angle. I'm definitely looking to be saved. So they come down and and, and I kid you not, something happened in that room. There was about 30 guys and they said a prayer. And and I know something happened in that room. And people might say, "Oh, you're stoned. You're looking for something. And it's a weakness." We're taught that surrender is weak. Well, for me, to surrender was was powerful. To follow something against the grain of what all my friends thought, I I, I had a reality. It was true, and I held on to it. It was my olive branch, and I took it, and I took it, and and, and I struggled with it. But there was such a profound feeling. It, 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 it touched me more than when I watched my children being born. And I thought to myself, my God, this is true. And I, I, I had hope. I had hope. And there's been days when I don't think it's true. There's been days when I want to walk away from it. But it hooked me.
2: And did it hurt you sufficiently to stop doing the drugs at yeah. that point? Yeah. Just like that? Overnight overnight overnight
1: that's powerful isn't it absolutely for me it was because yeah because I didn't know I was gonna stop puffing and and I was on it constantly it was my fix so I had to be something powerful to uh, to exchange and it was very very powerful for me and I have no doubt it's real and you know what when I look above and I don't want to get over the top here but when we look at the moon and where we are in space and the stars and the, and the air we breathe something must be going on we can't kid ourselves it's not a postcard you know there's not an electrician up there that when Australia and, and, and England swap times there's not someone turning the light the world's moving and you think How's that? and I don't want to go over the top with that but for me I have a lovely faith I I I'm not the perfect uh, uh Christian or faith believing man and I've messed up so many times that I have tested their love.
2: How many years into your prison sentence did you have this epiphany?
1: Well it was quite quick actually was uh, it? A, a,
2: a, about a year. A year. About maybe a but year t- to 40. But you already did 2 years on remand no, so 3 was, years total.
1: No, this was a this is when I was on remand. Ah. Oh. When I was on remand the angle of looking for something to do or like with Samantha Fox getting her down there and going into the chaplain's office to use the phone. I didn't expect a group of people to come round from the church. She
2: was so famous when I was a kid. I had no idea that she did this type of work. Yes, yeah, she did. Is she still doing this kind of thing?
1: I don't think so. I think she sort of, I think she's a spiritual kid. Yeah. And I was at her 50th party. I haven't seen her for a number of years, Sam. Yeah. But she was always a bundle of fun and love. And I think she had her own. We're all looking for something, aren't we? Yes. We're all looking for something. And whatever rocks your boat. Yeah. But it, it uh, she introduced me to it, yeah. Mm. Um, and you know, it just, you know, it means reading the Bible, what I struggled with at first. Um, I, have a, I don't concentrate that well, I'm getting better. And then I started to, the Bible was something I respected. Like I'd never nick anything out of church. I'd never spit in church grounds. And I was always on, and I had a, and I had a very uh, religious grandmother. And who was lovely, Mary. So it was around me and I used to pr- say my prayers as a kid. And so I I I've been in recovery for twenty one years, N A N A N I think we shouldn't broadcast that, but I am. And, and so it couples itself. There's uh and I'm not the best, I'm not the worst, but I do a lot of work with the church and I really, really enjoy it. When I see the lights of Shane, it makes yeah. it makes it worthwhile. Did you read much in prison? The early days in my previous sentences I did. I got into Wilbur Smith and all that. But then I started trying to read the Bible. Mm. And I struggled. Uh, did I read a lot? I was quite active in prison. No. How no, did you pass your time? Well, I, I had a million... Things. I was a gym oldly, so I was out all the time. I used to cook my own food. Uh, by the time I got back to my cell, pre my faith days, I'd have a joint and go to sleep. But once that happened, I, I do you know what? It's funny because you we're creatures of habit. So we regulate to our times. So once you had a full day in the nick, out in the gym, training, coming back, had your dinner, had a little naughty telly you weren't meant to have, you know, your lights out, bump, you're asleep by 10 and up at 6 the following day. So that was how my day was.
2: Did you have a workout
1: regimen then? Working out, what, well, training? Training. Yeah, absolutely. What did you do? Well, I used to be in the gym, I was a gym oldly, so... Uh, I used to play a lot of badminton, a lot of five-a-side football, and um, I used to do weights. But I wasn't a big weight man, but I used to do... And in other knicks, there was a swimming pool in Maidstone. You asked me about Reg, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, so um, should I talk about Reg? Yeah, please tell us what you can. So when I arrive in, um, he wrote about me in his book, Reg. (laughs) Excuse me about being a Christian and I found it really difficult at first when they used to shout out RC's for chapel my toes used to curl I thought and all my mates go you going to chapel Michael and I go yeah and I'll say to the officer do you mind you haven't there's only a few of us who go why don't you just come to the cell and say, church. And the, the whole church used to... The old wing used to hear it. And everyone would go on the spurs. you go to church, mate. And I'd go... And I had to go. There was something in that for me that I had to go. And I wasn't looking for perfection. I was looking for freedom. So when I arrived down in Maidstone, Reg, who knew Dad, and there was all the... There was a lot of people there who knew us. You know, some heavy, heavy-duty... The, 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 the class A sort of criminals... And they went, you, you're in the church? So, yeah, 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 I need it. You know, it was that sort of, um, you know. But I kept going. And with Reg, bless him, he was, funny story with Reg, some great stories with Reg. He, um, you know, he was very popular. And he used to always be on the phone. He had his, he couldn't see properly. i got some great stories about Reg. Um, so... My friends, I used to know a guy, he was the drummer for the Sex Pistols, and my pal come to see me, Adam, on a visit with his girlfriend, and if you had a visit and Reg liked someone, he'd always be inquisitive.
0: 18 plus. and
1: he used to be along the
0: landing from me
1: and he knew me dad and we, and, and where I was sort of doing this face stuff he quite liked it he had all sort of um, Red Indian sort of things in his cell it was like a wigwam in there he to like, sit on the floor and he was a strange boy but I liked him I found him a real a sweetheart Reg and, uh, and be, we used to do the landing clean together and he couldn't see and he, used to, he was always drunk bless him I don't mean that horribly, Reg. And he used to have all these le- You know these little yellow stickers that you write your notes on? They was all up his arms and we had to ring. He must used to get... The, the amount of letters he got every day was unbelievable. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. We'd become friends. we would be on the phone. We're all chatting away. So, my mate on the visit, Adam... Red says, who's that? He had a white lisp. He says, who's that? So I said, it's Adam. Anyway, they get acquainted... He sends Adam a, 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 a painting which Adam's got and he signed it Reggie Cray and he also sent him a photograph with him, Charlie and Ron and Adam put them in frames. Well, round at Adam's house the drummer out of Sex Pistols was there. So, and that's when they they relaunched their career in 1996. Yeah. The Sex Pistols. So they've seen the picture of Ron and Reg and that, how do you know him? He said, oh, Michael's in in the the jail with him. So they said, could you ask Michael if they could get a picture of Ronnie and Reggie Cray that no one's ever seen and they would make it the cover for the album. So I say, they asked me, I said, yeah, I'd do it. Well, no, it drove Reg mad. So he said, he keeps calling them spitting images. I said, Reg, it's the Sex Pistol, mate. Drove me nuts. <laughs> I've got him a deal, right? I've got him a deal to be on it. So he's gone to me on the phone, on the phone. Yeah, the, the solicitors are getting involved. I said, you're going to get a few, you? with his bowfie. Because he couldn't see a thing, Rich. He'd come out of his cell one day with his glasses on that Ronnie had given him and had an earring aid on the side and his glasses. And he'd had, had a few glasses of ooch. And he's come on the wing and went with his glasses off. He said, I can see. I can see without my glasses. Michael Emmett's prayed for me. I went, Reg, please. He fell down the stairs. <laughs> but he was a lovely old boy. Anyway, the sex pistols, spitting images. Reg, it's the sex pistols. Every day. Phone him up, phone him up. Anyway, he comes up to me one day. He says, cancel that. I said, why is that, Reg? He said, because they wrote a song about me and Ronnie. And it said me and Ronnie were a lot of bollocks. I said, they didn't, mate. Yeah, my mate told me upstairs. An old gay guy told him. I said, they didn't. I said, but if you cancel it, you cancel it. After two months of him terrorising me. Not terrorising me, because he was all right. But asking me. Anyway, he cancels it, yeah. Two days later... He comes He says, do that, no, 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 get spitting images on the phone, I want to give him the photo. I've looked at a million photos that no one's ever seen of Ronnie Cray and Reg, they were weird in his cell. Will that one do it, that one do it? Anyway, eventually, he loses the deal, yeah? The fella who's told him a lie, he must have been about 70 or 80, they have a fight over it, and he loses the deal. But the last story of Reg, if you want a cracker, yes, yeah? We all in Maidstone. There used to be wing football. Yeah. So we organise a game for the over fifties. It's Reggie Cray, my dad, uh, Joe Martin. He was doing thirty-three years. Some lumpy lumpy people in there doing a long time. So we organise this football team. I'm the ref. They've all had a drink, all messing about playing football. And I don't want to. I'm not shopping the business about people, what goes on in prison. But everyone knows. Everyone has a bit of a laugh. I'm the referee and it's the game of football. It's for all. We want Reg. And he's only got little spindly legs now. He's drunk on the hooch. He's falling over and everyone's shouting out, do it for Ronnie Reg. He loved it. It goes to penalties. So I say to the Kinning goal, dive to the left. And I say to Reg, knock it that way Reg anyway my six year old grandson would have kicked the ball harder it needed someone to blow it over the line so as he (laughs) he's run up like that he's kicked it and the goal he wants to dive it was one of them situations he scores we put him on our shoulders and where he had his sort of ways Reg his his private parts come out of his shorts listen I don't mean to be crude can we carry on with this yes and it's rubbing on the geezer's thing. So Reg is over the moon. He, he, he's like getting, he, He's like out sitting on the geezer's shoulders. He scored the winning goal. And we all start to sing, we are the champions. <laughs> he's crying, Reg. We are the champions,
2: my friend. <laughs> oh, he's
1: being adored. We get back to the wing. And this is what happened. We come onto the wing. And he was allowed... There must have been some sort of rule that he could phone Ronnie or or Charlie whenever he wanted to. Ronnie had died. So he phones up Charlie, who's in Belmarsh on the lockdown because Charles Bronson had taken the Iranian two... There was two Iranian who took a plane hostage, I think. And so Bronson had taken the two Iranian hostages, took them in his cell and said, take... Our, sorry The people that they took hostage Charles Bronson Is now punishing them And he's dragged them in the cell Covered himself in toilet And they're sitting there Now we don't know that So Reg has gone to the SO I want to phone Charlie No you can't I want to phone Charlie And where he was a bit deaf They used to attach this thing To the phone In the probation office So we've all had a drink Had the game of football We scored the winning goal and we're uh, And we're in the all round by the probation officers, they phone Charlie. And Charlie was a little bit intimidated by Reg, I think. Although Charlie was a lovely man, so was Reg. I don't want to say anything wrong here. Anyway, Charlie comes to the phone. What, what, what do you want, Reg? What do you want? He said, look, I can't talk to you. Charles, Charlie Bronson's taken the Iranian hostages, took them off. are in the cell. We're in a lockdown. So Reg went, don't worry about that, Charlie. He said, I've just been involved in a shootout. He went, what's going on, Reg? He went, a fucking penalty shootout. I <laughs> put the phone down. <laughs>
2: That's a true story. Excuse my French. Did you hear any other stories about
1: Bronson? <laughs> not really. I know he was very friendly with Joe. Um, I know he got stabbed a few times in prison. Uh, but not really. I, I used to hear about him, my dad, sort of Joe, and things like that. But not really, no.
2: No matter how big your reputation in prison There's always some dickhead who wants to test you. Did anyone test you?
1: No. I'll tell you why. Um, I was a lot bigger than I am now. I've got all the scars on me head. (laughs) So I looked apart. I weren't necessarily... I used to have a fight, but that weren't my game. I was game. But I think with knowing me dad, and my dad was an old-timer, I had it in Exeter with, with a kid who was a lump. He was from Devon. Over what? He just got a bit naughty and mouthy with me and tried to challenge me. What did he say? Uh I can't remember what he said, but I had another... With another kid down in Exeter, it was a Scottish kid, who tried to stick it on me over the football. And... um That was a funny story. I said, I'll have a fight with you in the recess. And my dad heard about it. My dad's 68. And my dad wants to protect me. I said, Dad, drop me out, mate. Let me have the fight. Don't no one fight my son. So there was all that father-son going on. But um, when I got into the London jails, a couple of people, but not... I was with the right crowd. I always knew someone who knew my dad. And in the London jails it was cool it was cool were
2: you able to corrupt the guards in the London jails um I can't answer that
1: (laughs) (laughs) but there's your answer
2: (laughs) lowest moment while incarcerated um my wife um left me
1: Mm. in when I was in Maidstone uh she she had an affair um Bless her, I think. It, I think the whole thing broke her heart. I had children with another woman, uh, w- with my first wife Tracy, my second wife, who I was married to, Daniela. I think she felt threatened by my family. That was the Much Italian more. lady. <laughs> my Italian lady, and she had an affair when I was in, We met someone when I was in Maidstone, and that was. A, and I went over to Reg. Funny enough, and everyone knew I felt embarrassed, but I was quite a. a a well-liked chap, I think, in the prisons. I used to get up to things and get things. One of the things you just mentioned, I used to have my own sort of little ways and means of of getting what we needed. But I didn't take liberties. And so I was quite all right in the nick. And um, there's loads of stories I could tell you, but it would be unfair. And, and, And so I went to see Reg when she had the affair. We went over to church together, me and Reg, and we said a little prayer. And he said, son, he said, all I can tell you to do is you've got to forgive them. Uh, but it was a very, very low moment. But in a way, I accepted it because I still had my children, I had my family. She was only, she was a
2: lot younger than me as well. And we're still friends today, but that was my lowest moment. Yeah. And how did it feel as you got nearer to the gate?
1: Uh well, when I, I, I got a few years off right at the end at the appeal courts. So you have had to do four then? No, i done five years. The old man five. done six. So from expecting to do 18, nine years, I'm down to five years, which is five years is long enough, but it, it was okay. And it's manageable, I, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't show on your shoes five years. <laughs> and so <laughs> I started, I was in a, a work in Nick where you go out to work. Which I was doing all sorts of naughty things. I weren't going to work. I was going home, and you do all them sorts of things. Or well, I don't want to get in anyone trouble because everyone does work really hard when they come out of prisons. Um, and so yeah, so there was that going on. So I started to get it was an anticlimax really, because I'd come out a few times, and I'd done a few things, and I used to get away with, with bits and pieces. I'd done some. I'd done some funny things in the nick, that um, with charity work. I'd get out with charity work. All the chaps was getting out doing charity work. We used to work with MenCap, so we had. It, that's another stories. A lots of stories there, but um, so it's an anti-climax when I come home. But I relapsed when I come home. I'd I got clean in the prison, mm. and I'd go into my church, and I come home and relapsed.
2: What was the temptation? Um,
1: we're powerless if we ain't careful, and the temptation was being around friends who used. And uh, no one wanted me to use cocaine. on my friends and family, because they knew where it took me. So I relapsed for a year. I had another affair, mm-hmm. which was very damaging for me. And then I got back on my feet again. And,
2: uh, how did you manage to get the mental
1: strength to get back on your feet? I think by the church. I started going to meetings. And I and and, and do you know what? I think as it's gone on, I don't know how it is, but they they, they talk about going through the narrow gate. And, you know, the good and the bad. And I think there's power in the belief and faith to believe. I think if you've got faith to believe, it changes the atmosphere. And so prayerful, going to church. Um, I'd had another affair with my business partner's wife. It wasn't very nice. Uh, I put that out there. And I'm not making excuses, but I, it was a repeat of my own abuse. That don't make it right. So I'd had two major affairs... Uh, Which I weren't happy about. I had a a massive business with this guy, cost me millions.
2: Did you end up in debt?
1: I'm mad debt. I I, I was I was quite wealthy boy. I had. Have you heard of uh, the group Kasabian? Sounds familiar. Yeah, I was I was a share uh, before they become Kasabian. They was called I had them. I was part owner of them. I had a radio station down in Brighton. I had supermarkets abroad, and I'm not showing off. This is what I had. I had a flower business in London. I had a property um, portfolio in, 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 in Spain. And you lost it all? I lost a lot. <sighs> lost a, And got in debt with the wrong people. <sighs> so it was a tough time. But I do believe that was my faith again. Was it a drug debt then? No, 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 no. It was nothing to do with drugs. It was straight business. <sighs> but someone stole some money off me. Um, but I think it was an answer to prayer because to be honest with you, I'm not saying it, it's okay to be wealthy, it really is, but it what, it's what it means to you. It, it can't be an abuse of power. It can't be something you love because it, it'll bite you on the backside. And so I built this sort of thing. You know, when I built the cannabis deal, I'd done it from the addiction of, of, of the drive, and I, I, I'd done it quickly. I'd done exactly the same with my private life. But instead of getting it right, I used to let the affairs, the women, the all that sort of thing. And because I think I had a conscience, and I'm not a bad guy, um, it never sat easy with me. So I was always had this conflict. Even as a believer, I had this conflict. And my walk... I've just bought a book, I've just wrote a book, so you see that I haven't gone a hallelujah, I'm saved. I'm a work in progress, like I've said, and it's changed me, it's changed the way I feel, what I do, and I'm getting there. But um, when I lost everything, I think it was, it was a mask, I, w- I was hiding behind it, I was frightened. I was doing things that I shouldn't be doing, uh, I was doing very well in business, uh, and, it, and it wasn't helping me. And I'm not saying I don't want my money back, because I do. But someone stole from me. I got in trouble. with a, I went and borrowed um, from friends and family. Um, caused, a lot, caused me a lot of aggravation. But in that, mm. I found Michael. The loss of everything. My car was a Range Rover. I changed it every two years. And I'm not showing off. In the end, I couldn't afford an Oyster card. I know nowhere to live. All my family rallied round. I lost a lot. It was fortunes. But the only way I've accepted it is I think it was built on sand. It didn't have a good foundation. And eventually, if I hadn't lost it, I think maybe it had got taken from me from elsewhere. So I began my life again over the last few years.
2: What made you want to write the book?
1: Because the story is... um, I'm I'm not saying I'm incredible, because I'm not... I'm quite a weak, vulnerable, strong man. I've got that opposite. I got i got asked to do it. I got asked to write the book by uh, Harper and Collins. And um, and I think it's a very unusual story that I'm, I'm here to tell it. I think it's, um, and it's been drama after drama after drama after drama, after chaos, after chaos, after chaos. After chaos. Uh, I've lived about 10 lives, but I'm at peace today a lot more. I've got lovely children. I've got lovely grandchildren. I'm, I'm now with a New Zealand lady who's very kind and loving. Um, so, failed marriages, I've, there's been so much I've been through. And I think there's hope in the book. I believe there's hope. Um, and I think it's a good read. I think people identify it. It's not, I'm in church now, I'm saved, I'm holier than now. It's, you know what, church is like an hospital. You can get well. And I think we all have our inner secrets that we don't want to admit because we're macho, our pride. You don't get many men going unbroken. But, you know, we, I think we're in a broken world as it is, and I don't want to get too into that.
2: But um, there's hope, I think. I think hope's a biggie. So for people watching this, the link to your book is in the description box below this video. Is there anything you'd like to say in conclusion to the people watching this?
1: Well, I'm not sure what your audience is, but, well, I am a little, yeah. People watching, um, you know, I hope some of it's made sense. Some say it's an exciting story. Some say it's not. Not everyone's been happy with me. But I, I do think that the criminal fraternity that I've lived in, as much as it's exciting, there's no free lunches, yeah. We reap what we sow. Um, and I just think the word love, you know. I, I know we might be a few gangsters listening or some heavy people, but we've all got good arts. We're, we're all nice guys. And I just think today I learned to do something simple. Uh, and I think simple's best. And I think the word love is a verb to do. So I enjoy loving, I enjoy loving my neighbour. Not all the time. I want to chin them sometimes, but but you know what I mean. So people out there, if you're looking for a way out, or if you're not, that's up to you. Uh, and you know, I'm powerless over what anyone does, but all I'm saying, there is something out there that can set us free. And for me, it's the cross. And I'm not religious, and I'm not trying to preach to everybody. But
2: it has changed my life. It's nice to end on a message of love. Thank you very much for watching this, everybody please let us know in the comments what you thought about this video huge thank you to the new subscribers subscription logo is in the bottom right hand corner of the screen huge thank you to people who've gone down in the description box checked out michael's book followed our socials people who've donated as well those links are down there so we can film these podcasts in a studio with james and joe and thank you also for all of your guest Suggestion. so hope you've enjoyed it all right give us a hug man cheers well done brilliant storytelling thank you very much thank you very yeah, much right. yeah. yeah
0: yeah terrific it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper